Welcome to the Kia Beyond the Build podcast, where we get together with Kia and industry experts to explore the big issues affecting our sector. Today's episode is about aliancing, and we're kicking things off with Professor David Mosey of King's College London and Rebecca Boundy, Sector Director of Custodial and MMC for Kia. I began by asking David what aliancing is. It's a word that's been around for a while, and the problem is that it's often talked of in quite vague terms in sort of behavioural and aspirational terms. What's new is that we're clarifying it in terms of commercial commitments. So in that respect, it amounts to a way of sharing objectives and success measures and targets and incentives, and then backing that up with joint activities designed to improve value and to manage risk uh, with a timetable for those activities and a governance system that supports them with transparency in terms of crucial information, sharing of that information, clarity and commitments, and then also an exit route if things go wrong. So in other words, taking that collaborative concept and putting it into accessible and bankable commercial terms. So in terms of the, the, the benefits of, of aliancing and why, why we should be doing it, as, as, the, as the rubbers hit the road, if you like, on this concept, are we realising those benefits? What, what would you, what, Rebecca, from a contractor perspective, what would you say to that? Absolutely. I think for me, it's the way the industry needs to, to be working going forward. If we're going to deal with our most difficult and challenging concepts, actually, we need that... Uh, musketeer mentality of all for one and one for all. There will of course be issues that are outside of the control of an alliance, you know, things that, that we can't deal with, but actually the things that we can, why not get the, the best of everyone's abilities together working on those difficult issues? So, you know, when we look at the new prisons programme, what we see that we've been driving forward in terms of not just economies of scale, which I think is one of the first things that comes to mind with alliancing, but actually certainty of delivery. So that drive in terms of understanding the supply chain, getting an aligned supply chain across multiple projects, the importance of capacity mapping, securing common commercial terms and incentives, as David's mentioned, with the supply chain, and actually being able to really drive innovation and digital. So as part of the new prisons programme, collectively we developed, you know, 126, what we referred to as big ideas. Now, by their nature, they didn't necessarily have to be big ideas, but it was the fact that you could implement them over multiple projects to really gain the best value from them. And so it was very much the idea of driving forward continuous improvement, bringing the best of everyone's abilities together to, to create a better end product for the client. You uh, asked the question about whether alliancing is, is delivering results. And I think that's a really interesting question because people always ask that and always seem to be a bit cynical about the response on the basis of, well, yes, that went well, but what about normal projects? And they're always looking for evidence. What is interesting is this inference that a traditional non-collaborative system is working perfectly well, which it clearly isn't. If you look at the money spent on disputes, on lawyers and adjudicators and arbitrators and expert witnesses, it is enormous. If you look at the track record of traditional projects in terms of cost overruns and time overruns and shortfall in delivery, it is pitiful. And this is a global issue. The McKinsey report suggested that the 
construction industry is very poor on productivity compared to other industries, and that the contractual framework needs to be rewired. That was their proposal. Very interesting. They're not lawyers, they're not they're in trade-in contracts, but their view was that if we're going to get the industry to work efficiently, we need to rewire the contractual framework. And that is what is occurring here. It sounds like there's some strong evidence as to the fact that alliancing is working and, and it does deliver value. What's your perception in terms of whether or not the industry is is sold on this? Because really, we're talking about, about a massive cultural shift, aren't we? We're talking about rewiring the contractual framework. That's that's major. People are hugely suspicious. Um, this is a high-risk, low-margin, fragmented industry. You have these areas of expertise, people doing research and development, people coming up with bright ideas, uh, organisations like Kia shouldering enormous commercial responsibilities. And when that is distilled into a new procurement and contracting system, they're very suspicious because they say, well, can't we just do it anyway? The evidence is that you might or you might not do it anyway. But if you don't understand each other's position, and the only way to do that is contracts, if you don't understand each other's position, you will hesitate, you will um, get disappointed because there will be misunderstandings or delays, and then we revert to something more traditional. Um, so, no, this is, as you rightly say, Louise, uh, a transformation, but it is not an idealistic one. I, I talk about the Bermuda Triangle of collaboration, which is idealistic debates and then cynical criticism and then unrealised good intentions. And we've seen that time and again over the years. People talk in very flowery terms about collaboration. Um, if only we could act in good faith, if only there was a no-blame culture. But often they expect other people to do something else first and become very disappointed when that doesn't happen. So we do have opportunities here, but it is not a given. I think people need training. They need mutual exchanges of best practice. They need some kind of obligation. And that starts with clients, by the way, so that we get encouragement. Because unless it is clearly beneficial and obligatory, frankly, you know, then it, it won't necessarily happen. I'd really echo what David said there, because I think for me, as con from a contractor's perspective, it's quite a bold step into alliancing because actually who we collaborate with today, we, we are competing against tomorrow. So the concept of sharing our learning, our best ideas, you, you do have to be brave. And actually, you know, we often have the conversation internally, the, the rate of acceleration of our peers' learning Will, will be much greater but actually that's to the huge benefit of our clients and and it's no bad thing if it gives us further impetus to to think of what our next ideas are and keep striving to be better so I think for me actually if we could track the rate of of continuous improvement be that as David was mentioning earlier productivity or other metrics how we're driving digitalization etc I think you'll really see an accelerated period of growth within the industry by virtue of alliancing and I kind of feel it's incumbent on on those of us that have experienced alliancing to not quite lobby but actually shout about the benefits of it from from various perspectives because actually how else will we kind of drive this forward in the importance of collaboration without being able to sell the positives that we're experiencing absolutely obviously you've touched on digitalization there and and you've talked about 
I guess how we can drive those benefits in terms of our, our development and so on as, as an industry. And I think it's also the sustainability of those improvements. So picking up on social value, obviously close to the Ministry of Justice's heart is obviously driving kind of opportunities for prison leave for employment. Actually, the scale of something like the new prisons programme gives those opportunities in a way that a project in isolation or a contract working in isolation can't. So, for example, we're seeing it could be prison leavers working on prison A, moving on to prison B. But actually, for me, there's then the broader question around how do we, when we're part of an alliance, continue the legacy of the alliance when that comes to an end? And actually, Everything that David said in terms of be that around sustainability or other aspects, we almost raise the bar because that becomes the new norm for then going into be it a collaborative or a more traditional form of contract following. We're taking all that learning with us. There might be people out there who are like, well, yeah, I get the idea of alliancing, but actually, you know, I prefer to go down that traditional methods of construction or that will suit me in terms of my projects and so on and what I'm doing more. How do we overcome those sorts of barriers um, to, to thinking about this? For me, any form of collaboration works better when you've got a common goal. And actually, what better a common goal than when you're working on standardisation of, of design components and how you're going to deliver? Because everything we said about the potential for economies of scale becomes that much more great in terms of the opportunity. So I think when you look at you know, clients such as the Ministry of Justice, actually they're trailblazing not just in the use of an alliancing form of contract, but their drive towards platform design for manufacturing assembly and, and the digital thread that underpins that, that is so intrinsic to the contract. And you can't deliver modern methods of construction without the digital sphere as well. So I think um, you need to have that intelligent client. You need to have someone that's driving at all of them because, you know, I mentioned earlier we had 126 big ideas to, to drive and improve value. Actually, if you're doing that on a common set of components, again, the opportunity for uplift is so much greater than those if those big ideas are spread um, across a disparate design. So, so that for me is where the kind of the, the inextricable link between them comes in. So often people think they choose, they're in a restaurant choosing things from a menu. And I think this is an indulgence. We have a coherent set of recommendations for the first time in the construction playbook with the government committed to it. And I have to say a word here for Crown Commercial Service because they created the alliance model that the Ministry of Justice picked up on. That is embedded in the Crown Commercial Service Alliance Programme under FAC1, uh, which is the biggest FAC1 procurement. It's £30 billion. Pounds. It was two of them at £30 billion each. Um, they looked to an integrated range of objectives and systems, of which MMC was one, digital information management was another, engaging with the tier two supply chain was a third, and collaborative governance was a fourth. And they realised that clients need autonomy in the way that they deliver that. So they offered the notion of what they call a sub-alliance, but in MOJ terms and KIA terms, it's the alliance, so that clients calling off on the Crown Commercial Service Framework Alliance could create their own alliances. Now, that is huge, because one of the problems we have with long-term framework commitments is that people see them as a quick fix, and they don't really take an interest in the wider strategic objective. So popping in and out of a framework for a single project doesn't really get us very far. 
But if we have this concept that Rebecca has described so articulately of competitors developing a one-for-all, all-for-one mentality around a specific program of work within the context of an overarching strategic framework, we're getting collaboration at every level. And that's what drives the improvement, I suppose. So the things which are too difficult, if we're committing to this type of contract and we're working together to, to do those two difficult things, then obviously that will drive the innovation and they'll stop being so difficult. Well, it, it, exactly. The contract is easy. The contract is just the shortest, easiest contract you could want. What we're combating is the notion that real collaboration is counterintuitive um, because Um, of the risk because of the lack of time because of the lack of familiarity people have so many ways of saying no Um, we're combating that by suggesting firstly it's essential and secondly that it is in their commercial interests if things are not in people's commercial interests they're not going to do them Um, so getting across the message that it really is to the benefit of the contractor the subcontractor the design consultant that it de-risks the project that enables them to excel, enables them to win more work, is really important. And, and to conclude on that, Rebecca's point that people don't really want to share information, why would they? Their hard-earned innovations belong to them. Changing that paradigm is the biggest uh, challenge of all. FAC1 has two crucial clauses on this. Clause 11 talks about the licensing of intellectual property and the protection of intellectual property. And Clause 13 talks about confidentiality and recognising that what you own is what you own until you agree to share it. So this is not a demand from MOJ that people give away their intellectual property rights. It is the creation of an environment in which the four contractors work together with the supply chain to agree to share what it's in their interests to share uh, for for, for firstly the good of the programme and secondly the advancement of Kia's uh, reputation. So for me, I think if you're if you're not open to other ideas and sharing yours, it will never work. And and that for me, exactly as David said, whilst the contract provides a framework and a really critical and positive framework, it's ultimately like baking a cake. And if you have missing ingredients, it still won't be a success. So actually having the right people around the table, driving it, understanding not just the contract terms, but the ethos of the contract, the importance of behaviours underpinning it. It's only when you've got that kind of, and the governance and process aligned to the contract, that it will truly be a success to ensure that we do reap the benefits and go into it with the maturity of saying, we will share, it's for the benefit of not just the project, but us longer term as well, and being receptive to new ideas and challenge. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because I think collaboration is often used... In, in construction, I'm speaking here as a, as a head of comms in the construction industry, we often use the word collaboration. It's almost, it almost takes on buzzwords type qualities. And this sounds like this is, it's actually making, making it, it very meaningful. Real. Yeah. 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 There's a really important point I want to make here, which is that FAC1 does not stand on its own. The delivery of each project is governed by individual project contracts. And the FAC1 does the things that those project contracts don't do which is the early engagement, the supply chain engagement, the joint approach to risk, the joint innovation, all of the collective decisions and all of the collective activities. Now, people are very used to the minutiae of JCT and NEC contract management and manoeuvring 
and claims and liabilities. What FAC1 does is enable them to see the wood for the trees, to step back and say, okay, we have an NEC or a JCT or a PPC for the running of the project on site. We, we get that um, and the buck stops with Keir for the delivery of a project where they're appointed as main contractor under one of those contract forms. But there are other issues here where we're trying to improve and we're trying to de-risk a project. We need the thinking time before those contracts are awarded. Where we're trying to collaborate, we need the machinery for engaging with parties outside of those individual project contracts. And that is where the big changes are coming because FAC1 is a completely different type of contract. But the interesting thing, Louise, is it doesn't increase your risk. Nobody is at risk. At the end of the day, you go back to, I don't know about the comfort zone, but you go back to the traditional paradigm of an NEC form or a JCT form or a PPC form for delivering the project. That is what it is in terms of how it's been amended or how you translate it into your subcontracts. But what you have the benefit of is an enormous amount of additional information and control and incentivization that you've obtained under the FAC1. Um, so to cut a long story short, if there's a conflict between the two forms, the, G the NEC in this case takes precedence. Nobody interferes with the way you run your project under NEC or indeed the work of the project manager. But in preparing for that NEC contract, you have the benefit of all of this supply chain engagement, all of this peer group engagement, the development of consistent digital information, uh, the development of an MMC approach that is sustainable, as Rebecca said, because of the, the, the quantum. Um, and that means that you're much more secure in performing your NEC obligations. So I think that's a really important point that uh, alliancing isn't about us trying to lessen our role as a kind of a DMB contractor, but exactly as David said, actually the fact that we've taken a much more proactive and collaborative approach to, to risk management during that pre-construction period provides much more certainty for all parties concerned when you then move into the delivery phase. We've spoken a lot about contracts today. Is, is alliancing all about the contract? Great question, because... Hey, I'm a lawyer. I, I like contracts. Most people don't really care for contracts. Um, it is one of four elements. Now, I've talked about the four eyes in constructing the gold standard. Um, and the four eyes are intention, information, integration, and incentivization. And only one of them relates to contracts. So the first intention is the client setting a strategy, creating a pipeline of work, we have 70% of contractor participants in constructing the gold standard will not bid if there isn't a proper pipeline of work. And we've had people wasting their time with those very high bid costs on speculative frameworks where there isn't actually a pipeline of work. I've already said that, that we need to use the procurement process, firstly, so that the client shares the right level of information, and secondly, so that bidders submit qualitative information that is then used rather than having this fragmented approach where you've gone through a highly complex competition and you never hear about it again because you move into some other phase. So information from the client, information from the bidders is the procurement stage. Contracts are the integration stage. We think of contracts as allocating, transferring risk or 
merely dealing with administration and measurement of frameworks and awards of project contracts. They're the integrator. There isn't another way to integrate. Everything else is just honeyed words. Unless you clarify your mutual commitments in an integrated way through, as I've described, uh, a multi-party contract that draws these different players together, you're not going to get the integration you need for efficiency. But then the fourth I, incentivization, is in the management. And that's not just chucking extra money at people. It is managing in a supportive manner, seeking to help the suppliers and the supply chain to deliver what they've agreed to deliver, trying to avoid wasteful disputes, trying to avoid a wasteful approach to performance measurement and to excessive mini-competitions. So to me, there are four dimensions, Louise. Contracts are one of them, but strategy, procurement and management are the other three, and they all need to work together. Absolutely echo that. You know, David speaks about the four eyes I mentioned ingredients when cooking, and it's the same mentality. You have one of those missing and you won't achieve success. So, you know, in terms of that intention, David referred to the intention from the outset of the client, and I think that's fundamental. But it needs to be the intention and commitment coming from all parties joining an alliance as well, because actually you won't get the buy-in of the supply chain. They'll see through us if, if they think it's empty words and gestures. It needs to be fully bought into at all levels within an organisation and with the governance and process that underpins you know, the essence of the contract as well. If there was one golden nugget or one key takeaway, what would it be? I'll start with you, David. You need to use a different form of contract to achieve different results. And an FAC1 alliance enables us to see the wood for the trees and it enables us to escape from that Bermuda Triangle of idealistic collaborative debate, cynical criticism and unrealised good intentions. I think my uh, my nugget would have probably been a less articulate version of what David said actually in terms of uh, if, if we want to, to really approach the tough issues that our industry is facing, be that around the green agenda and carbon productivity then actually that we need to work better in terms of the sum of our parts and we need to have a framework that enshrines that from the outset so actually what better way to do that than under an alliancing form of contract so we've talked about how critical clients are to the successful delivery of alliancing frameworks so it would be absolutely remiss of us not to have a client perspective we're delighted to be joined by Sue McElroy and Robin Seaton from the Ministry of Justice, who've both been instrumental in the delivery of the, of the alliancing contract for the new prisons programme. So thank you both for joining us today. Obviously, an, an alliancing framework, as, as we've discussed, is, is very ambitious and, and very different, I guess, to traditional forms of procurement. Can you let us know what, what were your drivers behind introducing the alliancing, an alliancing framework? So I think when we... Um... When we set out on this journey, it was really thinking about what are we trying to achieve as an outcome, and um, many of the barriers around how you know how significant a program this would be, um, how would this land with the market, how would the supply chain meet the capacity that we needed. So lots of this was about how do we deliver this, um, and it's going to you know it's going to be it's going to need everybody's involvement. It's going to need more than one one provider, and so it's really thinking about what were the barriers to success, and then how we do that. Um, and then it was broader than that. It was about what do we want to achieve from these programs and, and around driving that and driving to the, the outcome 
And that's where, you know, we have to work really closely as a business. You know, I pick up the commercial, um, but it, it's around making sure that we align to the customer needs. And I think that's where, um, where I should stop and Robin should start. <laughs> Thanks, Sue. So I think when we were at the start of this journey, we thought about where we, where we are in the kind of the continuum of what we're doing as an organisation. So when we started on the Four New Prisons programme and thinking about alliancing as an option, we were partway through uh, Keir delivering five wells for us, um, the first new prison of that design. Uh, and I think we were probably just about kicking off um, with uh, Foss Way being delivered for us as well, the second prison of that design. Um, but we were going into a, I guess, a, a, a bigger world and a more ambitious programme um, than we'd been in as an organisation for a really, really long time. I think the last time we did anything on this scale was probably around 2006, 2012 kind of time. And I think the world of world of procurement and, um, and contracting had moved on quite a long way since then. I think we were able to capitalise on some of that new experience that we got from those two projects um, and... and uh, Alliancing offered us a way forwards to kind of capitalise on that, manage some of the challenges of delivering at that scale um, and at the pace that we that we needed to. The prison service has obviously been the, the trailblazer, I would say, in terms of the, the development and the significant rollout of this type of contracts. What's the appetite like in other government departments? Do you think, can, is, this, is, is this the future? There's been so much engagement from other government departments in what we're doing, how we're doing it. And it will come down to, you know, how how successful is it? And that is also, you know, it's you, um, it's the market, it's stepping up to show that this delivers better value. And that's what we're, we're asking for everyone to work in a re- really mature way. This drives all the kind of transparency, you know, trying to avoid the race to the bottom that has, has sort of pulled down the industry for so long. And, you know, this is trying to break that, but it's got to be successful. And it means that everyone's got to work in in a collaborative manner, but show that that drives value. So we certainly have interest from everybody. I'd be interested to know how your personal perceptions have changed of alliancing from that initial idea and that initial aspiration or ambition, if you like, through to where you are now. I mean, I think the openness that we have seen between contractors has been brilliant. And I think this fear of if I share... I'm going to lose my competitive position has been broken through because technology now moves so quickly. Um, you know, everything is moving so quickly. That's not where your competitive advantage comes from. And there is so much work in the industry. You know, collaboration, what, how you can unlock that, what you can learn from it and how you move forward is going to drive more and more of the of the work and winning work in the future. So I think that's certainly been a really interesting learning curve and it's really interesting to see it happen just because we set out on a, on a contract and we ask everyone to do it doesn't mean they need to buy in um, and make it happen. And that's certainly what we've seen. It's very, very united team um, supporting the kind of ups and downs on, on all parts of the project and across, the, um, across parts of the programme and across the projects. And also watching the team support each other through that with advice, with lessons, with innovation, with ideas. And that's been, that's been great to see. And Robin, I'll put the same to you. Yeah, I think it's been both a learning journey for the contractors in the Alliance and a learning journey for us as a client as well. So the people working in our teams have had to get, get to grips with a new way of working. And that's been been a learning process for us as much as it has for, uh, for any of the contractors, actually. I think it's been a really w- rewarding one for the people involved because it does feel like a different, a different way of working and maybe a more, a more rewarding one, I think, in terms of that kind of collaboration 
that it has uh, that it has incentivized for realizing to be successful it requires really close collaboration between the various parties how has that changed perceptions between different industries or all the different partners that, that we normally work with have, have there been any changes in that respect it's a really interesting question i think um i think there's a few different elements to it but perhaps some of the unexpected things was actually you know far greater understanding of how government operates by contractors so how we make decisions you know the stages of decisions you know just things like cash flow is as important to us as it is to you and i think some of these some of the perceptions uh, breaking down those barriers has meant that we've got far better information in a timely way that can support those decisions that support you know the right value for money decisions for the taxpayer and I think that's been a really interesting element. And I think that, you know, we've and the teams here, you know, we work really closely alongside policy. So they've got to understand how how do you really build something? What are the stages in that process? And that will shape policy, I'm sure, for many years to come. Speaking to to David, Mosey and, and Rebecca Boundy, they were talking about the, the wider benefits that can be delivered through a licensing framework. It's not just about delivering a building. Robin, from from your perspective, could could you give us give us a view on on the benefits that you think these sorts of contracts drive in that respect? It's almost the crucial point, really, isn't it? So one of the things that I always talk about is that in many ways we're not really a construction program, or we're not purely a construction program. The reason we are here is to deliver for high performing prisons uh, that have got prisoners in them and are giving a chance to those people to change their lives. Now, I'm not, uh, you know, naive enough to think that we can get everyone, uh, everyone inside prison to change their lives. But in terms of what we've done around design and creating the opportunities for people, now that's that's really important, and that's where we really drive value for the taxpayer from this process. When we started out doing our new prison program back in sort of 2016 or so, we thought really carefully and really clearly about the evidence that underpins good prison performance uh, at this point in the 21st century and it's the first time we'd really had the opportunity to rethink that for a while. Now I think what Alliancing does for us is that it enables us to drive that level of understanding and that level of buy-in into the absolute end goal throughout everyone in our supply chain and if you can get that greater depth of understanding of purpose you can make sure that people at every level within those organisations are taking the right decisions to drive the right outcomes for the project. Thank you to all our guests for their time and sharing their expertise. I'll be back next month with a new episode. And don't forget, you can head to kia.co.uk forward slash podcasts to find out more.